it's not just a down payment that makes multifamily more affordable than single family. I just, yeah, multifamily is more affordable than single family, and I'm gonna prove it to you. So if you have $40,000 in W-2 income and you're getting a single family, the lender will typically qualify you for about six times your W-2 income. Mm -hmm. So 40,000 times six is $240,000, right? right? Now, I have a fourplex in uh, Louisiana, or I have several, but I have a fourplex, and what people don't recognize is that financing, or the way that a lender calculates financing or your pre-approval for a multifamily is different than a single family. So if I have a fourplex that's producing $4,000 a month in rents, the lender will actually give me credit for 75% of the rents that I'm going to get mm -hmm. after I close, and they'll add that to my W-2 income today. So 4,000 times uh, 75% is 3,000 a month times right. 12 months is 36,000. So the lender will take my $40,000 in W-2 income, they'll add on the $36,000 of rental income that I will be getting once I close, and now they qualify me based on $76,000 in income, not just 40. Mm. So now 76 times six is $456,000. Mm. So I'm almost able to buy twice as much real estate because I bought a multifamily as opposed to buying a single family. Welcome to Black Wealth Weekly Podcast, where you can find different guests being interviewed by me, Shaniqua Nicole, the Millennial Money Maven, every single week where we will be breaking down how they got into their respective industries and are creating wealth for their families. You don't want to miss an episode, so hit the bell and tune in. What's up, family? Welcome to this week's episode of Black Wealth Weekly. I'm your host, Shaniqua Nicole, the Millennium Money Maven. And today I'm joined by no other than Mr. Multifamily himself, <laughs> Mr. Julian Gordon. I'm sure you guys know him all over the world because <laughs> he is helping people break generational curses and build wealth. What's going on, King? How What's you feeling? Going on? Happy to be here, Queen. Yes. Thank you for the invitation. Thank you so much for yes. being here. I appreciate you. We had a brief conversation mm -hmm. about um, real estate and my newfound love uh, for real estate. So let's just jump right into, you know, your story, because I know that, um, you know, you teach people how to invest in multifamily yeah. real estate. <laughs> So let's just talk about how, how you even got started yeah. investing. How did you get started in your investing journey? Yeah, well, it goes back all the way to my childhood. Because, okay. um, I grew up in Oakland, California. I'm the son of two doctors, so um, middle class or upper middle class kid. Um, but my parents divorced when I was one. And so uh, I was living primarily with my mom, and she bought this beautiful home near the lake, Lake Merritt. And, um, and uh, what happened was um, she ended up losing the home. Uh, due to mental illness. Mm. And, uh, you know, the American dream says, go get a good paying or high paying job, go get, go to school and things of that nature. Um, but it doesn't tell you about the things that can happen in life that can trip you up, mm. especially if you're only relying on one stream of income. And so uh, that house today is worth $1.8 million. What? <laughs> and, um, and I'm our only child and, uh, and uh, that will not be passed down through our lineage. Right. Um, and so, Right then, I knew that multifamily was not going to be, I mean, that single family was not going to be the path for me and that I was going to buy multifamily. That got reinforced when I read Rich Dad, Poor Dad in college. <laughs> and that book changed the game. And for most real estate investors, that's where their journey begins with that book. Um, of course, that book is more high level. It doesn't give you the actual details in terms of how to get into real estate. But um, it opened my eyes to how the American dream or what actually is the American nightmare works mm -hmm. and how it keeps people trapped. 
And so um, uh, from there... Uh, what's, the, what's the American dream or nightmare? <clears throat> the American dream is uh, be good, get good grades, go to a good school, get a good job, and rely on one stream of income and hope that you can make it to the end. <laughs> um, and uh, it's really a trap. Um, when you think about the student debt that you have by going to school, when you think about uh, the single family home, especially at these interest rates, when you're buying a single family home today, uh, at about 5.5% interest rate, you'll end up paying the same amount for the home as you do in the interest for the home. Mm. Once the interest rate crosses 5.5%. So and if now you, they're like over six. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So if you're buying a $300,000 home, you're going to pay over $300,000 in interest. Mm. And so as a real estate agent, um, you know, that, uh, that particular space, the professionals there, they sell the sticker price. The sticker price is what's on Truly and Zillow. That is not the actual price. Mm. If you don't have cash, that is not the price of your home. Right. The price of the home is actually what it's going to cost you to finance the home. And so if people understood the difference between the sticker price, which they'll see on Trulia, Zillow, or Redfin, and the actual price, which is all the interest that they're going to pay on top of that, then I think they would look at real estate uh, a little differently. On top of that, you have PMI or private mortgage insurance, right? You have your homeowner's insurance, your property taxes, and what nobody talks about, especially lenders, they don't talk about the maintenance. Mm. So yes, you may own this home free and clear, but now you've had it for 30 years and when your mortgage is gone, the other end replaces it and that's maintenance. And so now you have to redo the roof. You have to redo the foundation. You have to redo the electrical and the plumbing. And so uh, a lot of people are actually house poor right now. Mm. They can say that they're a home owner, yeah. but they're actually house poor because their house is taking up majority of all the money that is coming into their household. And so when you need a $10,000 roof and you're now 60 years old, guess where that's coming from? That's coming from your retirement. Mm. And so your house is actually what's breaking you. Your single family home is what's breaking you, even though you quote unquote own and you have checked off a box on the American dream. Gotcha. So this system is literally set up for us to walk into this trap where we're 60 and now, you know, they, they, they sell us this dream. You work 40 years, retire 40% of your mm -hmm. income, and then, you know, you're 65 plus, and now you can go live the life of your dreams. Yeah. But for the average person, they, they, they haven't saved enough money, um, haven't focused on health enough because they were so busy trying to make money, right. you know, to keep up with this mortgage that you're talking about. Yep. And really have been too busy to to learn any real skills that's going to help them escape that rat race. Um, so tell us a little bit how you transition from single family to multi uh, multi family. Yeah. So um, <clears throat> speaking of that, you know, mortgage, you know, the word or the etymology literally means death pledge. Mm -hmm. The word mortgage literally means death pledge. If you take the prefix mm -hmm. mort as in mortician or mortuary, right. the word mortgage literally means death pledge. <laughs> mm. And people don't know that they're happily signing up for a death pledge. And it's not a fast death. It's a slow death because reason it's a death pledge is because people are working on the corporate plantation doing things that they don't want to do just so they don't miss a mortgage payment. Mm. So the easiest way to retain an employee for 30 years is to help them get a mortgage. Mm. And not only helping them get a mortgage, that employee psychologically, what they don't realize is that they're going to buy a home to be close to the plantation that they're trying to escape. That's a fact. Oh, you know, I don't want Mass to be mad at me. I want to get there on time. If Mass ever need me, I want to be able to get there quick. <laughs> That was literally one of my main um, thoughts when I bought my first house here in Georgia. Um, I didn't want to be, you know, Georgia in this traffic. Yeah, you right. Know, I didn't want to be too far from my job. Right. Um, so no, that that that's that's a fact. But you sure. hear that? You called it my job. You don't own that job. Mm. You don't own the job. 
<laughs> you had the job, I but you don't job. own it. And guess what? The job left me before I was even ready. So thank God I had my side hustle, which has now, re, you know, been replaced my, <laughs> my job income. Um, but mo- even, you know, j- just really gave me the freedom yes. to think. Yes. You know, that was the most important thing I feel like leaving from the corporation to working for myself. I feel like I really got the freedom to think because when you're working, you're so busy, you're so stretched trying to do that. Then yeah. you got life responsibilities. You really don't get a chance to think. So, mm-hmm. um, you know, the freedom that you get from entrepreneurship and I- I'm sure multifamily investing, like I, yeah. t- I was telling you, it's going to be a-, a definite goal of mine is that you don't have to work for your money. That's a fact. Right? Like this is where you could take your money and leverage it into producing for you monthly every single month. Yeah, see, slavery's not over. There's no chains anymore, but modern day slavery is mental and it's monetary, mm. right? It's mental and it's monetary. Did you know that the US dollar is 75% cotton? Mm. So most people are still- And it's physical? In this physical form, is seventy five percent cotton. Okay. So most people are still in the corporate plantation every single day, picking cotton for their master, and they didn't even know it. Mm. It's just adapted. It's just adapted. And so uh, when you come to that awareness that we are still in this, because if you ask most people, you say, "Are you free?" What are they going to say? No. no. And so if you're not free, then what are you? In bondage, a slave. You're either free or you're not. Right. It's, it's you're right. Right. So. <laughs> Most people in the quote unquote land of the free are not free. Mm. The reason they call it the land of the free is not because the people would be free, but because they got so much land for free Mm. that they stole. Jesus. That's why it's called the land of the free. But most Americans don't feel free. 80% of Americans hate their job. uh, 73% of Americans live in paycheck to paycheck. Right. So how are we in the land of the free when most of the people here are in bondage? Yeah. So how do we get free? You you went from, you know, watching your mom go through life, right? And health. Just life. And, you know, we, we, we never think about that part yeah. of life where you can't work. Yeah. You know, we always talk about, oh, I'll just get another job. Or, you know, we think that we can just do something else. Yeah. But, you know, what happens when you can't do something else is that you lose everything. That's a fact. So how do we mitigate that risk? Um, and, and, and when should we start? Like, should we start young? You know, can can a person that's in their 40s, 50s kind of start to change things for their own retirement? Like, tell us what, what, what the pathway is for us to really get into this freedom. Yeah, so to get to freedom, um, you this is what I call the stack. And you actually need three streams of income or three types of income. You need active income, which is you trading time for money. So you're using your skill set through a job or through entrepreneurship and you're trading time for money. The second type of income you need is semi-passive income, right? And so for me, that was my real estate portfolio. That's semi-passive. When I was managing my portfolio myself, you know, I would go uh, pick up rent or go handle something that somebody needed really quickly or whatnot. I have property management now, but when my portfolio was smaller, it was semi-passive. It wasn't 100% passive. Then you need passive income. Right. And so you need all three. So for me, my active income is uh, teaching multifamily real estate to folks right through the multifamily movement. Then um, my semi passive is my real estate portfolio. And then my 100 percent passive is Forex. And so you have to find out what your stack is for everybody is going to be different. But you have to find out what yours is. And the goal is to turn your active income into passive income. And that is the name of the game because financial freedom is when your passive income is greater than your cost of living. Mm -hmm. And so even if you have a higher active income, that does not mean that you are 100% free. There's Fortune 500 CEOs that make more money than me, 
but they're not as free as me because right. they have no passive income. Right. And so a lot of people think that the name of the game is to create the biggest pile of money, but you don't want a pile of money, you actually want a pipeline. A pipeline will continue to supply you and the next generation forever. Mm. A pile of money, if you pass it on to the next generation and they have no financial literacy, it will deplete. Mm. And in fact, a lot of people go to retirement, 65, they save up a pile of money, and in the next 20 years, what happens? It's gone. Eating away, whether it's through their own expenses or through inflation, right? Um, increase in property taxes on their single family home, things like healthcare, right? So they want you to come in here broke and they want you to leave here broke. Yeah. And that's why it's the American nightmare as opposed to American dream. The reason they call it the American dream is because they had to rock you to sleep in order to get you to believe it. Mm. Wow. <laughs> like I just be needing a pause after these statements <laughs> because it's just so monumental, like your thought process and you know your your level of awakening um but cool so how do we use real estate to um develop this pipeline to freedom yeah so um i was in brooklyn new york and you know rents in new york are through the roof right (laughs) so um i was renting there and i'd read rich dad poor dad i just hadn't had the capital right, to actually invest in real estate at the level that I wanted to. And so one day um, I was walking from our apartment to the post office and I saw an open house. And this is when I was starting to save up money and I was ready to make my move. And so I went and dropped off the mail at the post office or actually went to pick up my packages. And then I came back and went to the open house and I knew it was it, it was a triplex. Mm. And what's crazy is that it actually shares a backyard with the property I was renting. So I was looking at this triplex for about two years. Mm. I would see it every single day. And so the opportunity came and when you're when you see a real estate deal, you have to move quickly. Mm-hmm. This is not the kind of thing, especially in New York, where you heart knit on Trulia and Zillow and putting it in the favorites folder. Because if you wait, you pro- wait, hesitate or procrastinate, it's going to be gone. Right. And so I put in my application that day. The lender happened to be on site. I was able to do a deal with M&T Bank. And um, I was an entrepreneur at the time. A lot of people think that it's harder to get financed as an entrepreneur. If the income is inconsistent, it can be harder. But there's no blockage if your income is still consistent, as as consistent as uh, a W-2 job. They, gotcha. they have a little bit more scrutiny, but at the same time, you can get finance, right? Yeah. So that's a blockage that many people have. And so um, I purchased this property, and the moment I did that, I went from paying expensive rent in Brooklyn to now being paid expensive rent in Brooklyn. Mm. So I moved into the owner's unit on the first floor. I was getting rents from the third and the second floor. And those rents, as you know, rents in New York are strong. Yeah. So those rents covered their principal, interest, taxes, insurance, capex repairs over vacancy rate, and then left me with cash flow. Mm. So rather than having negative thousands of dollars going out every single month, right. I had positive thousands of dollars and I was living for free and I got the tax benefits and I get appreciation and I get principal pay down from that particular real estate deal. So that got me to rent mortgage freedom. And since May of 2013, I haven't had a housing expense, mm. not rent or mortgage. I have not paid a housing expense since May of 2013. Wow. And so once I experienced that, the question is, how do I do it again? Right. Now, when you're buying your second property, it's likely not going to be owner-occupied, so it's going to be 25% down. So you were telling me your story how, you know, in Trenton, uh, your hometown, you couldn't buy there because of the property taxes and the cost of housing there. So you went to Detroit. So I decided to find a smaller, less expensive, non-sexy market. Mm-hmm. And for me, that was New Orleans. I fell in love with New Orleans. I traveled there as a speaker many times. <coughs> Excuse me. And, um, and, uh, and I wanted to preserve the culture there. 
Um, even though I wasn't from there, I fell in love with the city. And I knew, especially after Katrina, that if outsiders didn't come in, that the people who actually were native there um, didn't have the capital to preserve New Orleans. So right. I decided to be a contribution to that community there. And so I decided to invest there. And so that's where I expanded my portfolio. I also bought my hometown of Oakland, California. And then I expanded it even further out into Baton Rouge, Louisiana. Mm. So today I have uh, about 40 units um, in, um, in Atlanta, Brooklyn, Oakland, uh, New Orleans, and Baton Rouge. And um, they provide me with a very healthy amount of cash flow. And I was able to build that portfolio in less than a decade. So. Uh, the average rents on my portfolio are about $37,000 a month, mm. right? And um, and uh, uh, after principal, interest, tax, insurance, capex, repairs, and vacancy rate, I keep about 40% of that. Mm. So that's $15,000 a month in passive income. Right. $15,000 a month times 12 months, that's $180,000 a year passive. just off of passive, off my real estate portfolio. If I just sat down and did nothing yeah. um, and... I was able to build that in less than a decade, mm. whereas there are people who are on the corporate ladder trying to get more and more active income. They will never reach that over a 40 year period. Right. And so once you realize that, um, then you just keep running that play. It's like that game whack-a-mole, right? If the, mo if the thing keep coming out this hole, I'm going to keep hitting this <laughs> hole. I'm not switching up. And, you know, there's a lot of uh, sexy bells and whistles out here, ways to make money, cryptocurrency, NFT, et cetera. And if you made money off of some of those strategies, great, right? We know they're on the, in the tank now. So if you got out and you made some bread, good. But the most proven business model of all time has been multifamily real estate. Mm. It's also recession proof. If you think about the feudal system, in the feudal system, kings gave land to lords in exchange for, in exchange for loyalty, mm. right? So where did the word landlord, landlord come from? It came from the feudal system. Feudal system's been here for a long time. I can't guarantee you that Amazon, Apple, or even Tesla is gonna be around 100 years from now. As right. great of a company as they are right now, I can't guarantee that. But as long as there are human beings on the face of this earth. They're gonna need somewhere to live. Yeah. Hey, it's Julian Gordon here, and thank you for watching this episode of Black Wealth Weekly. We dropped a lot of gems in it. If you want to go deeper and you want to learn from me, I encourage you to go to rentfree.com. Again, that's rentfree.com. I'll show you how to finance, find, and finalize multifamily real estate deals and literally get to rent and mortgage freedom, meaning that you never have a housing expense for the rest of your life. Your housing expense will be the biggest expense that you have in your entire lifetime. And if we can just do that one thing by getting you your first multifamily home, it will change the financial trajectory of your life and you become the most fruitful branch on your family tree. Now back to the episode. So multifamily real estate involves purchasing real estate uh, with one to four doors. Uh, yeah, right. uh, typically we say two to two to four. Two to four. Because once you get to, to five, once you get to five units, it's considered a commercial property. Gotcha. Yeah. And so when you are going into your next property, you got your first one. You done lived in it. You house hacked. Yeah. The next one. Um, you said you need typically 25% down? Yeah, now there are there are several ways to use FHA twice that people don't know about. Let's run it. Yeah, so there's actually five ways to use FHA twice. One of them includes the 100 mile rule. So if you end up moving 100 miles from your initial property, then you can actually use FHA again. Mm. Family size increase is another example that can allow you to use FHA twice. But mm. for most, for the most part, um, if you are owner occupied in your multifamily, your next purchase is gonna be 25% down. So that's why some people have to go to smaller, less expensive markets where 25% down makes it's sense. Yeah, yeah. Mm -hmm. it's not that much money. And so the reason that you say FHA is because um, what I what I do know about that is you can go and purchase a property with three and a half percent down. Correct. Right. So um, multifamilies. Let's just say your property in Brooklyn. How much? How much was that property when you like bought? Like nine hundred. Nine hundred thousand. Mm -hmm. 
Um, how much is that property worth today? Uh, 1.4. 1.4. So you had a half a million dollar increase in your net worth. Mm -hmm. um, plus, you've been getting hefty rents yep. in Brooklyn. Yep. Um, but nine point at a nine, you know, the average person, they look at multifamily real estate and they see 800, 900,000 and yeah. they're like, oh my gosh, I can never afford that. But the way that they can do it, you're saying is they can use the FHA, which is three and a half percent down Correct. versus normally, you know, people say you need like 10 to 20% Correct. if you're not using FHA, if you're going conventional. Yeah. So there's FHA, which is three and a half percent down, but then there's also NACA, which is 0% down. Mm -hmm. And right? there's these new programs yep, that are coming up, Right. but we have to be careful. We can talk about those in just a second. Okay. Right? So <clears throat> it's not just a down payment that makes multifamily more affordable than single family. I just, yeah, multifamily is more affordable than single family and I'm going to prove it to you. So if you have $40,000 in W-2 income and you're getting a single family, the lender will typically qualify you for about six times your W-2 income. Mm -hmm. So 40,000 times six is $240,000, right? Right. Now I have a fourplex in uh, Louisiana or I have several, but I have a fourplex and what people don't recognize is that financing or the way that a lender calculates financing or your pre-approval for a multifamily is different than a single family. So if I have a fourplex that's producing $4,000 a month in rents, the lender will actually give me credit for 75% of the rents that I'm going to get after mm -hmm. I close. And they'll add that to my W-2 income today. So 4,000 times 75% uh, is 3,000 a month times right. 12 months is 36,000. So the lender will take my $40,000 in W-2 income, they'll add on the $36,000 of rental income that I will be getting once I close. And now they qualify me based on $76,000 in income, not just 40. Mm. So now 76 times six is $456,000. Mm. So I'm almost able to buy twice as much real estate because I bought a multifamily as opposed to buying a single family. Wow. So it's actually easier to acquire a multifamily home than it is a single family home. Now, of course, the only limitation is that there's only 2.6 million of these two family, three family and four family homes, also known as duplexes, triplexes or fourplexes in the United States. So we're looking for a very specific rare asset. And if you're able to get one, it can literally change the financial trajectory of your life. Mm, wow. Yeah, I've been looking for some duplexes. Um, have you ventured into maybe building, like getting start starting to build? Um, yes. Uh, so in Baton Rouge, we have some larger developments, like 85, uh, 85 unit, uh, 80 unit. Uh, we're also considering a storage facility. Um, but those are, we raised money through the Buyback Baton Rouge Fund. We raised about $3 million. And we bought some land. We bought older buildings and uh, we're going to be doing new developments as well. Oh, I love that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So you have like a crowdfund. Mm -hmm. Awesome. I yeah. love that. Um, so you said we were going to talk about these new zero down programs out there. I know Bank of America yep. and these banks, Legacy. they have been, I don't want to call it pandering, but yeah. you know, they've been pushing out this narrative that they want to help black wealth and um, they've created programs that are supposed to allow us to purchase real estate with no money, bad credit. Yeah. Tell me what you think about these new programs. I haven't studied much into them. They're very dangerous. Okay. They're very dangerous if you don't know what you're doing, right? It's very appealing to the consumer, but it's very dangerous if you are uneducated in terms of what you're about to do. You're about to engage in the biggest financial tra transaction of your life. You may not, it may not feel big because they're incentivizing you to not take any money out of your pocket. Mm -hmm. But in terms of the amount of debt that you're about to acquire, it is the biggest financial transaction of your life. The reason it's dangerous at this particular time is because if you get in on a $500,000 uh, triplex, okay, and interest rates increase by 2%, guess what? You're underwater. Mm. 
And remember, you had 0% down payment. Yeah. So you had no equity. You had no breathing room. Right. So now you're underwater. When you're underwater, you're stuck. I hope you want to be there for the rest of your life. Otherwise, you're going to get foreclosed on mm. if anything happens and your income does not allow you to pay that mortgage. So you have to be very careful in this time where you're getting an opportunity to get into a property with 0% down and all these other incentives, yeah. but interest rates are rising. Because yeah. every time the interest rates rise, which you don't control, right. the Fed controls that, right. your property value is going down. Here's why it's going down. Every 1% increase in interest will require about a 9% price drop in order for the principal, interest, tax, and insurance to be identical. Mm. So, uh, so, I mean, they done did 2% increases yeah. in the last year. Exactly. So if you have a $300,000 property, and let's say it was 5% originally, if the interest rate increases to 6%, then the price will have to drop down 9%. to about two seven, about around 270 for the payment to be the same. Why does the payment have to be the same? Because the buyer pool that's out there, right, is not buying based on the market. They're right. buying based on that payment amount that they can make based on their income and what they got approved for. Right. And so now you have a smaller buyer pool if the price has not dropped in accordance with the actual interest rate increase. Mm. So um, you can find yourself underwater, even though you've checked off the home ownership box, which yeah. is part of the American dream or nightmare, right? You check that box off, but now you're underwater. And now on top of your student loans, putting you in negative net worth, now your home is also putting you in negative net worth. Mm. So what do you think about date the, um, you know, Marry the home by the uh, date the rate is what I what I, I've been hearing people say. Marry the home, date the rate. Um, I haven't heard that one. <laughs> yeah, so people are saying you know trying to. And I, I'm sure this is like a real or realtor type you yeah. know, thing. They're saying like, look, just go ahead and buy the home, right? At the end of the day, realtors only make money when you purchase a, real, a yeah. property. So they're trying to get people to purchase property. So yep. they're saying date the rate, marry the home. So find a home that you love, buy it now, and then refinance when rates drop again. That's BS. <laughs> That's BS. That's what's going okay. on. So first and foremost, you cannot trust your real estate agent. Mm. Please don't trust them. Because many real estate agents, they don't even own the product that they sell. Mm. That's a fact. Some of them don't even own real estate. They've been licensed to transact real estate. Right. Those are two different things. Right. So I only work with agents who own multifamily real estate themselves, right? Or who know how to calculate cash on cash return. Guess what? Cash on cash return is not on the real estate exam. Mm. And it is the most important number in multifamily real estate investing. Right. That real estate agent is not going to be there when you get foreclosed on. Where are all the real estate agents that sold the homes in 2007, 2008? Where were they to be found? They got their commission and they were out, but they weren't dealing with you. A real estate agent's interest is not in you creating generational wealth. That is not their responsibility. Their responsibility is to sell you whatever home you decide that you want. And if you like a home because you're married to a home, Jada Pinkett say, Entangle well, we don't do entanglements in real estate. <laughs> we don't do entanglements. We don't get attached to pieces of real estate. Right. Unless it has some nostalgia because it was grandma's house, yeah. right? And you have history there. We don't get entangled to property, yeah. right? So no, you date the home. <laughs> you date the home and you actually you marry the rate. Right. Because if I can get debt at 3% and I can make it work at 15%, you can give me as much debt as I can possibly deploy. Right. So I'll lock in a, a rate. And so these kind of quotes that some of these agents might be throwing out there, they're based on the assumption that the, the um, interest rate is going to go back down. Mm -hmm. But who, 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 who says that? Who says that? Right. And that, that, that I agree with that. And I think that that's a very important thing to know is that 
Number one, we are in such an inflationary period because the government has been printing billions and billions of dollars. Correct. So when you understand just basic economics, you know, not to factor in world economics yeah. and what's going on outside of America right. and what's going on in China and the, the pressures that they're putting on, on America. Like when you factor in all these things in world economics, yeah. I personally don't see rates going down. Like, right. I just don't. There's going to be a push because, you know, things have to stabilize. Yeah. But just with the sheer amount of money that the government has been giving out yeah. and is going to have to continue to give out because our workforce is um, is becoming weaker. Mm-hmm. Um, the jobs are becoming less available. Yeah. Right. And, you know, right now they're pushing people to go into work from home. And guess what? Next day, we pushing those jobs overseas, which they've already been doing for the last 15 yeah, years. So yeah. it's like there's no way that, you know, I, I'm sure. Matter of fact, I'm going to bring an economist on here because I want to talk just about the state of the world um, when it comes to economics, because yeah. that's really the financial system that we're going by, supply yeah. and demand. Um, but, yeah, um, cool. So what is the best way for um, a person, a family to start investing, you know, building their wealth through real estate. Yeah, so when you <clears throat> first go get pre-approved. Okay. Just go get pre-approved. It costs you nothing to go get pre-approved, right? Mm-hmm. So that means walking to the bank where you have your checking or savings account at and say, what are the documents that you need for me to pre-approve me? So they're gonna ask for your pay stubs, your tax returns, your W-2, um, they're gonna, they should have your bank statements already and then any other accounts that you have, they're gonna ask for that information. You submit that and within maybe 72 hours, they'll have you back a number. Now, if they say your credit's too low, you don't give up. You just go repair your credit. If they say your income's too low, we gotta figure out how to create more income. They say your savings is too low, we gotta figure out how to save more. Some people are so ready to give up just because one lender says something about them. I had one student, <coughs> she, went, she went through the pre-approval challenge and um, <coughs> she got pre-approved at 440, 500, and 700. Mm. The same individual. So three many people, banks. three different banks, looked at her differently. So a lot of people go into the bank that they're familiar with, one of these big banks where they have their checking account at because there's ATMs all over the country, et cetera, and they take that one lender's word as universal truth. Right. And it's not. Yeah. You just literally walk out that bank, go down the street to the left or to the right, and you send the, submit the same exact documents, and you might get a different number yeah. that so is actually put you in position. Are there some banks that you can recommend <laughs> that are more friendly um, to multi A lot of the credit investment? unions are more friendly to, um, to folks than these larger banks that have to have more so national interest rates, et cetera. Yeah. A lot of the credit unions or smaller banks, there's over 2,000 banks in this country. So don't be uh, skewed to just, you know, uh, Bank of America, Chase, Wells Fargo, et cetera. There's tons of banks out here and banks have to lend money in order to make money. Right. So they're looking for credible people to do that for. The biggest thing though is for you to get clear on the difference between affordable and approved. Mm. What you're approved for may not be affordable to you, Mm. right? Because if you're approved for a $500,000 property, but you can really only afford about a $350,000 property without feeling stretched, without feeling house poor, then it's gonna be really important for you to stick to your guns and not let a real estate agent (laughs) mislead you you and push you to buy something. Oh, the market's gonna, this is a great deal. Most real estate agents don't know the difference between a deal and a listing. I'm not looking for listings. I'm looking for deals. Right. But if you can't calculate cash on cash return, then you can't tell me if it's a deal or not. Yep. So right? what's cash on cash return? How do we great. do that? Great. That's a great question. So cash on cash return is um, based on your down payment and your closing cost, which is the money that you have into the deal. Right. So let's say your down payment was on a $300,000 property. Let's say it was um, 
three and a half percent down, that's ten thousand five hundred dollars. Then your closing cost, let's just say that was another uh, fifty five hundred dollars. So you're now sixteen thousand in, mm -hmm. right? And then after you collect rents and you subtract your principal, interest, taxes, insurance, capex, repairs, and vacancy rate, let's say you're left with one thousand dollars a month in cash flow, mm -hmm. right? So that one thousand times twelve months is twelve thousand. Yep. You take that twelve thousand divided by your initial investment. Right, 16. your cash flow divided by your initial investment, which was sixteen, and then your cash on cash return, that one would be about seventy five percent. You're typically not getting seventy five percent cash okay. on cash so return. So, what's a good cash? Yes, cash return? bare minimum for multifamily is twelve percent. Okay, right. Uh, we typically want to be around fifteen percent, though. <clears throat> so, um, let me explain why that's important. Is because if you take the rule of seventy two, seventy two divided by twelve means that your money is doubling every six years. Mm -hmm. Okay. Now, your money in a Bank of America savings account only earning 0.03% interest, that's 72 divided by 0.03, means that your money is doubling every 2,400 years mm. instead of every six years. Right. And then if we add in inflation, you're actually losing money by saving. Mm. So the only way to create real wealth is to invest it. You have to make your money work. Many people are good at working for money, but they fail at their second job after hours, which is how to make money work for them. Right. So you have two jobs, right? It's one thing to make the money, but then your money has to work hard for you. You have to employ all your Washingtons, all your Lincolns, all your Hamiltons, all your Benjamins. You have to employ them, but a lot of people's money is lazy, right? Right, And it's actually losing value. So that's your responsibility, but most people are afraid to circulate money. They think by hoarding money and mm -hmm. holding it, that's what's gonna to lead to their wealth. But you actually have to circulate money. Yeah, it I has will, to leave you. I'll say this, right? When I first left my corporate job, um, I was always, I was in the mindset of like, so I was just always aggressive, right? With my financial goals. Mm -hmm. And I was just like, Okay, I want to save my first twenty thousand. Want to save my first fifty thousand. Want to save my first hundred thousand. So cool, save my first hundred thousand mm -hmm. dollars, and didn't own any real estate. I told you I was trying to buy real estate in New Jersey, yeah. but it was just way too expensive. I was looking in Princeton. Then I was considering a co-op, which I should have done, but I let people who didn't own real estate talk me out of doing it. No, you it. shouldn't have done a co-op. No, no, you shouldn't, shouldn't have done not. a co-op. No, why not? They're extremely hard to sell. Oh, because of restrictions and stuff like mm -hmm. that. And covenants. But if I would have bought it, I mean, I, you can't sell it as quickly like as you buy it. I've had people get trapped in co-ops. Really? Because if a certain, uh, like, they'll have covenants or uh, laws, like, if, if a certain amount of the building is rented, then um, then a unit cannot be sold and things of that nature. Mm. And so the asset is not in fully in your control to right. make decisions around. That's true. And so that puts you in a precarious situation. Absolutely, yeah. So what I was saying was that um, when I left my corporate career, I had, you know, I saved my first six figures and I was like, okay, this, this helps me feel secure. Yeah. Right. This keeps me secure. What I learned soon after, because now I don't, I, I didn't have my job and my side hustle yeah. anymore. I just had the side hustle, which was making me good six figures of money, but yeah. I lost my income from the job. And I realized like, yo, I got this money sitting here, but and it's not doing nothing for me. And and so I had lost this other bucket of money for my job. And yeah. so that's when I realized, like, I have to take this money and put it to work. Yes. And, you know, we, 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 we briefly spoke on it before where real estate in my hometown was just super expensive. So yeah. I wasn't going to do that. Even here, like for a long time, real estate didn't make a lot of sense to me. Right. Because I've always felt like, why would I invest $10,000, $20,000, into real estate to only make... $700 a month. Yeah. It really didn't make a whole lot of sense to mm -hmm. me, especially when I felt like I could use my time to go and make $20,000 a month. Yeah. And I ain't got to take my money and tie it up to yep. make that. You Understood. know what I'm saying? 
So um, what I ended up doing was going to Detroit. Like you say, I found the Detroit market mm -hmm. literally by just being online, watching guys like you mm -hmm. doing their investing, found the Detroit market and was able to buy my first property cash. Yeah. Um, it's been on and popping from there. Yeah. And now I love real estate because there are so many creative ways that you can own property. Yeah. Um, do you have any creative ways that you can share of how people can find and or own multifamily real estate? Yeah. So um, uh I'm actually consolidating my portfolio into a larger um, apartment complex okay. um, near a college. And so, as we were talking about earlier, uh, I'll be renting according to the room. It's 36 units, right? But since they're all two bedrooms, they'll, I'll actually have 72 tenants right. in that particular property, and that's going to allow it to cash flow at a great rate, right? Yes. Um, <clears throat> the other uh, most valuable asset right now, um, this is this is secret, and I haven't shared this publicly, um, the best type of real estate to buy right now, if you're in a city with that is primarily single family, is a single family home with a basement that has um, its own Entry, entry point or egress, mm. right? Because you can actually convert that basement and use it for Airbnb, which then now pays for your mortgage. So when you step into it, it may look like a single family home on the surface, but when you actually go to visit that property and you see like, oh yeah, if I shut off this door here and I add um, a small kitchenette here and it has entrance here and I can put a walkway here, and there's a parking space here, now your single family home is paying you. For most people, a single family home never pays them mm. unless they sell it, Yeah. right? And no point does a single family home ever pay you unless you sell it. Wow. And so that's a way to start to monetize your single family home while still preserving your private space upstairs. Yeah. This week's episode is sponsored by ABCs for Rich Kids by seven-year-old author and entrepreneur Bryce Nicholas. Please tell us where we can find your book. ABCsforRichKids.com awesome this book is so amazing guys it literally goes from a to z with different financial terms for your little loved ones awesome so we've got f is for future value e is for evaluation h is for air guys if you do not have this book the amazon number one bestseller Please go and grab it now at abcsforrichkids.com. Yeah. And I know nowadays, um, you know, just because of the sheer fact that they, they can't create any more land, yeah. um, what they're doing in a lot of towns is allowing people to use ADUs. Yep, of course. Um, so, you know, if you have enough land, then you can put, uh, what is it? What does ADU stand for? Something dwelling uh, unit. Additional dwelling additional unit. Dwelling yeah. unit. Mm -hmm. so or accessory. accessory. Additional or accessory, unit, yeah. Right. Um, so you could get like, you know, I, I've seen people buy these sheds and like, you yep. know, or mini houses and, um, put them on Airbnb or yeah. make experiences or, you know, now you have your mother-in-law, yep. um, suite or whatever. Uh, but now, because w what I think about, you know, our culture, especially is that, you know, we never want to be uncomfortable. Yeah. We never want to be inconvenienced. You yeah. know what I'm saying? It's always like, oh no, I need my house. You yeah, know what I'm yeah, saying? Yeah, yeah. But other cultures will come here and they will be three families in one property. Yeah. Um, so um, talk to me about, you know, what, like, what's the best way I've seen you, I've seen you talk about this before. What's the best way for, um, you know, maybe a couple that's dating, yeah. um, but they are planning to be together forever. They want to build wealth together. Yeah. What's the best way for them to maximize before they get married? Yeah. So before they get married, you never want to go buy that single family together. That's what the American dream or nightmare tells you to do. Mm. Go buy your dream house together, right out the gates. 
first and foremost, if you're really trying to build wealth through real estate, your first home will likely not be your dream home. Right? We're not looking for our dream home. We're looking for an asset that will pay for our dream home. So don't go on that mortgage together because that $300,000 home is gonna appear on both of your individual credits as $300,000 worth of debt or based on whatever your down payment was. Maybe it's $280,000 worth of debt. It's gonna appear on both of your credits as such. Right. So it looks like you owe twice as much mm. than you actually do. Right. So one person can actually go purchase the home and be on the mortgage, mm -hmm. and then both people can be on the deed if you want to do, uh, if you want it to be our house, right? right? Right. So what I would encourage that couple to do is to go buy multifamily separately, triplexes or fourplexes, and then use, using FHA, um, then use that cash flow to go buy the single family home that they desire. Now you have your single family home for free and you have two assets that will be in your family name forever. So you're bringing together two families and two two sets of assets together as opposed to stepping into a one liability together. Mm. And so that's what I encourage uh, a couple to do. For those who are in larger families, you guys have to ask yourself, go ask all your family members how much rent they're paying and just add it up. You got your auntie who lived down the street over there. I, mean, I know you're happy she's closed because she could babysit, but she's paying 1500. Your uncle live over here, he paying 1200. You live right here, you paying uh, 2200. If we just added that up, y'all could literally be in a mansion if you a wanted to, but you can't stand each other, I understand. But you gotta do what you gotta do to build this wealth. So um, uh, in Brooklyn, you know who moved next door to me and do or die bedside? An Asian family. Mm. And in the same unit that I was living in with my family, there was three families in the house. Right. And guess what? A year and a half later, one family moved out. Why? Because they got their own triplex down the street. Mm. Then a year after that, the other family moved out because they got their own multifamily. They brought their cost of living down by sharing space and dealing with it for a short period of time. Right. So that they could be free. Yeah. So that they can actually all acquire assets. And so these are some of the short-term sacrifices that we have to make. People living on their own, but they, they don't own ish. Right. You living on your own, but you don't own anything. Right. So <clears throat> we got to just come to the realization that if you are a renter, you are homeless. Mm. There's no other way to put it. If you are a renter, you are technically homeless. You do not have a home. Right. Now, there's a spectrum of homelessness. There's a person who's sleeping on the bus bench, and there's you. But guess what? You are still on the spectrum of homelessness. Okay, person who's sleeping on the bus bench, probably dealing with mental illness, childhood abuse, foster care system, addiction, right? No family, no friends, no job, no money, no food. And here you are with all this education. You've been working on the corporate plantation for over a decade now. You got a good head on your shoulders, people who love you. How is it that this homeless person owns as many properties as you do? Mm. Zero, how is that? It's the American nightmare. It's been set up to keep you in bondage. And so once you come to that realization that technically you are homeless, hopefully that lights a fire under your assets that gets you to move, to say, I have to go own something. If I want to claim citizenship in this country, I can't just be walking on other people's land. I actually need to go have land for myself, not only land, but the property that's on top of that land. And I need to be the best steward of it that I can possibly be. I love that. Awesome. Now, I think one barrier of entry for people, of course, is going to be their mindset. Yes. Right. So, you know, is it hard owning a multifamily? Like, is, is this like a whole nother business that I need to figure out how to do? Um, you know, what what are some systems or things that we can do to make it easier um, to own 
and you know become a landlord yeah. when you're really not trying to do that yeah you know so uh, a lot of people will say you know julian what about tenants i don't want to deal with tenants right um well your tenants are paying you and you deal with your you boss your job you deal with your boss every single day that you hate right <laughs> and you don't own that job it's not my job this is your property mm. right so you can be discreet they don't actually have to know that you own you could just be act as if you were a tenant that lived downstairs and you collect rent you give it to the landlord right right you can act as that if you want to um if you're investing in properties um you don't have to manage them yourself property manager typically takes about six to ten percent of rents so if your rents are four thousand dollars a month they'll take anywhere from 240 to 400 dollars, and they'll handle everything but you got to put that in your numbers right because that's going to affect your cash on cash return if you just want to be totally off but that does move it from semi passive mm-hmm. to totally passive because you're not involved all you got to do is swipe your card when the plumber needs to get paid and things right. of that nature so um your tenants don't have to know that you actually own the property if you want them to know that's great um i take good care of my people all my people know all my tenants know me right and i care for them these are, they've been living under slumlords for so long i provide them a quality affordable housing and as a result, they rarely leave mm. unless their family size increases or something happens. They rarely leave because they've never had a landlord or what I call a love lord treat them in the way that I treat them. Yep. Right. And especially I love it when families have kids because I want to make sure that that child um, can grow up in a healthy environment. At least they can trust that the home that they're coming to is going to be a clean. It's going to be safe um, and, and taken care of. And so that's my responsibility. And um, as a as a landlord. So I, the way I train people in the multifamily movement is we are ethical investors, right? We're not trying to come in and displace people. We're not slumlords. All landlords are not the same, but the media, um, the media positions, all landlords are the same. And there's a, a spectrum of landlords from slumlord. I hate slumlords. I don't hate many things, but slumlords I hate. Mm. And so uh, we teach the opposite of that in the multifamily movement. Got you. Mm-hmm. I love it. Yeah, I know you're big on um, spirituality. Yeah. How has that helped you uh, grow, you know, in this space? I mean, it sounds like you have a lot of amazing relationships, you mm-hmm. know, that have helped you, uh, number one, find these deals. Because for, 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 for one, I've been looking and it's hard. Yeah. Um, you know, especially mostly family. These kind of things, they come on the market, they're gone in two days. Yeah. Um, you've got cash investors coming in. Um how how do me as the little doll mm-hmm. how do i make you know my offer competitive when you've got people like you who can come in with cash and just pay cash for property yeah so speaking to the spirituality um part first is that what was god's first gift to man before life land it was land mm. so land is sacred and so that's first to recognize that before even man got life the land was here, right? Right. So that's first and foremost to recognize how valuable land actually is, right? Because man, and I don't mean man as in gender, as in mankind, is supposed to live off of that land, right? And then from a spiritual perspective, I believe that abundance is my birthright. And I believe that I will be a better steward of not only this land, but the property that's on it, and most importantly, the people that live in it, than some of these slumlords. And so it actually gives me the Uh, courage to go after these deals, to reclaim these properties and these spaces and these neighborhoods back from people who do not care about the people who actually live there, right? We've been um, talking about uh, gentrification, gentrification, gentrification. That's not gentrification, what people have been saying. Mm. Gentrification is actually the upliftment of a community, Mm. okay? So um, there's this block in Brooklyn called the Greenest Block in Brooklyn, right? And um, it's primarily all black owners. And because they decided collectively to 
make it the greenest block in Brooklyn, to redo the facades of their homes and upkeep the block, guess what? They forced appreciation of their property. Mm. Their property values went up. They gentrified their own block, and they're all black. Mm. What we've been calling gentrification is actually colonization. Mm. Colonization is when outsiders come in and try to displace the natives from that community. Right. But because colonization has such a negative tinge to it, we don't use that language, but that's actually what's been happening. So I feel like as a child of God that I have a responsibility to um, take care, reclaim, and take care of the land because uh, the land and the people that live on it, because um, those who have had control haven't been good stewards of either. And so that's uh, where I come from um, spiritually. Uh, then from there, and you talk about finding deals, um, there are many different strategies that I use to win deals, but from a mindset perspective, I know that what's mine is going to be mine. And I stand in that belief. And, um, and uh, so when I make my offer, I, I basically give it to God. And I'm like, this is my strongest offer. If this property is meant for me, if I'm meant to own this property and to be a steward of the people that are in it, then I can go to sleep at night and I'll get an accepted offer. And so just going into it with that awareness, um, but uh, we have all kinds of offer strategies um, that we know we can use and still get the property below asking price. And so, Give us um, one. yeah, so <clears throat> um, uh, one of them includes, you know that uh, a novice seller doesn't understand that um, you're only gonna get, be able to get finance according to their appraisal. So if they, the property's worth 550, but they want 600, then you appease them. I'll give you 605. Oh, I got an offer in t two hours and they're willing to give me over asking price and I already thought I hiked up the price a little bit. Right. Accepted. Now I have the power because I have the contract and now you are at my will because mm. I know when the appraisal comes in based on my due diligence that it's not going to appraise at 605. Mm. And in my contract, I have an appraisal contingency and right. a financing contingency. And so now when you get the appraisal and you see that it's only 550 and I can only get finance for 550, you either have to continue to rock with me or you gotta go back to the market and hope you can catch somebody who's naive. Right. And even if you do catch somebody who's naive, the same lender is gonna come back and say, we're not gonna finance a property at 605 that's only worth 550. Right. So I got the contract by offering $55,000 over what I actually know it's worth. Mm. So when you understand these things, you're able to um, navigate and work around sellers who think they're trying to get over on you and trying to um, hike up the price, but you know that once you get the contract, you're gonna have the control. Gotcha, I love it. Um, so talk to us about you know what you've got coming up. I know you said that you uh, have the crowdfund. Yeah. Um, how how can we learn from you? Like we tap into what you have going on. Yeah. So I'm the leader of the multifamily movement, and um, and to date we've helped 415 people close on multifamily homes all across the country. There's nobody that I know of, not an individual or institution, that has helped more people close on multifamily real estate than myself. And I say that with all humility mm -hmm. and uh, thanks be to God for putting me in position and giving me this purpose to serve people in this way. I had no clue that I would be in real estate in this magnitude. Um, but as I was building my own portfolio, people started DMing me and texting me and saying, how are you doing that? Because originally I was speaking at colleges and companies um, and talking about how to get through college and how to retain your employees and things of that nature. Um, and I would take that money, that income and put it into real estate and people started asking me more about real estate than anything else yeah and so um, I kind of just walked into this by listening to listening to God and listening to what people were asking me and so um, the goal right now is to get to 3,000 
closings, 3,000 closings would be over a billion dollars worth of real estate acquired. And so um, periodically I do a webinar at rentfree.com, which is rentfree.com. If you're trying to get rid of your rent, then go to rentfree.com. Right. And that's where uh, I will teach you the basics of the game. And if you realize after that that you want mentorship, guidance, and coaching, then we'd be happy to welcome you into the multifamily movement. Um, what I've come to recognize is that the multifamily movement is not just a course. That's what I thought it was initially. Um, but the multifamily movement is multiple families coming together to create regenerational wealth and enter the asset class. We are a true community. There's probably um, very few communities as tight-knit as ours. We have market meetups that happen all across the country organized by the members and they go visit properties together they analyze deals together we have certified agents and markets all across the country we have some primary lenders that we go to that we know are going to uh, do right by uh, our members and so we're building this strong strong network to help people first and foremost acquire this multifamily home and get to rent and mortgage freedom because that's a key component to building regenerational wealth but then from there um, there will be other asset classes that we enter in together and so I'm just so grateful for uh, what has unfolded so quickly and um, um, yeah, our focus was 300 because that's how many people Harriet Tubman freed over the course of her lifetime by making 19 trips below the Mason-Dixon line. We crossed that. We celebrated that last summer. Our 300 is closing, and now we're at 415, and we're working our way to 3,000. Wow, I mm -hmm. love it. Awesome. Well, I got to get my first multifamily. Yeah, come on. I'm a little, <laughs> I'm a little nervous. I, I, I can't lie. I'm a little nervous, but I'm super excited because, you know, like I, like I said, uh, Still, money is is it's a block. You know mm -hmm. I, what I know about money is that money is energy. Money is always supposed yes. to be moving. So when you know I, I get a little uncomfortable when I have too much money in the bank. It's yes. like what can I do? Yeah. Where can I? Who can I? Who can mm -hmm. I invest in? Yeah. You know what can I invest in Correct. to help me? Um, you know, help me do what is supposed to be done yeah. with, 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 the, with this energy here. Well, let me put this in perspective for you. Do you know how the average rate of return for the S and P five hundred over the past twenty two years? Do I know it? Yeah. Yeah. What was it? They say it's 10.7%. Oh, no. Correct. 22 years, 30 years supposed to be 10.7%. That's what they say. Since January 1st of 2000, the S&P 500 has only returned about 4.21%. Mm. On so average. So where, where does this 10.7% come know. from? If you Google I, it. I actually ran the numbers. Uh, you did it. You yes, did the math. I, I did the math. Yeah. I wouldn't be on Yeah. I did the math. I'm just going to ask Google. Yeah. Go ahead. Let's I don't think Google, I don't, you, you have to know how to analyze. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> so, um, um, so. I, put, I say that to say that if you're getting a multifamily real estate deal that has a 12% cash on cash return, you're beating the S&P 500 by 3x. Mm. And you're not dealing with the volatility because multifamily real estate is recession proof. You know how many people got rent increases lately? Even in the midst of a recession? Everybody. Everybody. <laughs> because multifamily real estate is recession proof. Right. Right? So first and foremost, cash on cash return, 12%. But there's three other returns that you get with multifamily real estate, right? On top of that, you're getting appreciation, right? You're getting principal pay down, and you're getting tax savings. Mm. So the true return on a multifamily real estate deal is not just 12%, it's almost twice that, which is 24%. Mm. And if I was to say to you, would you allow me to invest your money at a 24% annual rate of return? The answer is always yes. And, and super safe, because it's asset backed. So yeah, I love that. Now, these numbers, the S&P right here, it mm -hmm. says 40, um, S&P gained value in 40 of the past 50 years, generating an average annualized return of 9.4%. 40 out of the past 50 years is what, what it I'm says. I have to send you the image uh, that but I you, have so you that you can add this, Listen, to the, I add this, put it right there in the middle, right there. <laughs> and they can go run the numbers themselves. 
since January 1st, 2000, it's been about 4.21%. Wow, that's crazy. Yeah, so that's not how. But in order to keep us asleep and to keep us doing the things, because, you know, at the end of the day, if we take our money out of the stock market, what happens? It crashes. Yeah, You know, 100%. Um, so, you know, it, it's, it's the media's job and the corporation's job to keep people continually investing yeah. in that asset. So, yeah. Um, no, I love it. I personally think, you know, I have stocks, I have crypto, I have all, yeah. you know, I have all the asset classes, but, um, that's what diversification is, right? Diversification is just, you know, not being overly hedged in one place. Cause yeah. we had crashes in real estate. Yeah. You know, not multifamily though. Not multifamily. Single family will go up and down. Multifamily will not. And value. Multifamily doesn't go. No, because you can calculate the value based on the rent. Yeah, but rents are going up in the midst of a recession. Right. So even if single-family housing values go down, the value of your multifamily investment is still going to be high because it's going to be based off the cash flow. Correct. And on top of that, when single-family folks get foreclosed on, what do they have to do? They have to go rent. Mm. So the demand for rentals goes up. Yeah. Interesting. Well, y'all. <laughs> That was an amazing episode. <laughs> it's probably been about an hour now. I would love to get into more, but maybe we'll do a round two. Y'all let me know. Let me know <laughs> if you guys want to do a round two. Also, drop some comments. Make sure you subscribe to Black Wealth Weekly. Uh, but let me know. Was this episode helpful to you? <laughs> I've learned a lot. I appreciate you so much for yes. coming on. And if you guys want to make sure that uh, you tap into this king here, please let them know again where they can follow you. Yeah, so it's rentfree.com, rentfree.com, or you can go to Julian Gordon uh, on Instagram. That's J-U-L-L-I-E-N Gordon, G-O-R-D-O-N on Instagram. Feel free to DM me if you have any questions. Yes, and as you guys know, this uh, show is put together for you to figure out your way to wealth. So I highly encourage you to check this king out because he has an amazing strategy where you can get access to appreciation, cash flow, and wealth protection. So, mm -hmm. I mean, that's everything. Like <laughs> that checks one. off <laughs> all the boxes that I'm looking for and that you should be too. Yes. But that's this week's episode of Black Wealth Weekly. I appreciate you guys for being here. Like I said before, make sure you hit that subscribe button, hit the bell, and leave us a review. We'll see you guys next week. Peace. Peace. Thank you for watching this week's episode of Black Wealth Weekly. I'm your host, Shaniqua Nicole, and I hope to see you next week. Make sure you hit that subscribe button, turn on the notifications, and head to blackwealthweekly.com where you can read all the new episodes of these entrepreneurs and so many others.